The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Ticking Stock with Kelly McMillan. If the name sounds like a business show to you, then you've got it all wrong. Kelly McMillan is the principal of McMillan Fiberglass Stocks and will talk about shooting for fun, competition, hunting, and self-defense. Now, here is your host, Kelly McMillan. Welcome to Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. I'm your host, and for the next hour, we'll be discussing all things related to guns, shooting, hunting, and the firearms industry. I'm joined by my co-host, Zev the Wolf Nadler, owner and operator of the Firearms Concierge and BestDronage.com. Thank you, Kelly. And I want to give a shout out to our good friend Len Backus at LongRangeHunting.com. For all your long-range hunting and shooting needs, check out his website, LongRangeHunting.com. Hey, Zev, I want to talk to you a little bit. Uh, I know, uh, Sivan, your youngest daughter has been doing a, a, a lot of shooting. Why don't you tell us a little bit about how she's doing? She's doing great. Um, interestingly enough, I'm, I'm left eye dominant because I don't have a right eye, but both my daughters are righties and for some reason became left eye dominant. Uh, but we're working with the uh, uh, Arizona State Rifle and Pistol Association. They have an NRA junior small bore program up at Ben Avery Shooting Facility, and they've just got all the gear you could ever want. They've got Anschutz rifles, and uh, they have two of them in lefty, which worked out well for us. And the uh, first time she was out there, she was uh, hitting, you know, five-round groups really tight. So she has an affinity for it. Um, now she's got to learn how to develop the strength in her right, right arm to hold that rifle up with a sling. But, yeah, all around, we're really excited at her progress. Thanks for asking. Awesome. I know the ASRPA is uh, run by Noble Hathaway. Such a great guy. Really, really good friend of uh, anyone that's interested in firearms. And, and I definitely want to have him on the show. So maybe next time you talk to him uh, – yeah, mention that we'd like to get him on. Uh, today, we've got a, a really great guest uh, to start off the show. I'm really excited with having uh, him on the show. Um, cutting edge stuff, uh, <laughs> and, and the pun isn't intended. Uh, Dan Schmitzko, who owns uh, Cutting Edge Bullets. Dan, thanks for being on the show today. Uh, thank you very much, and thanks for having me. Well, we usually start off the show with our guests explaining a little bit about uh, who they are, where they grew up, uh, how they came to be interested in firearms, and in your case, uh, bullets. Uh, uh, why don't you give us a little history? <clears throat> okay. Um, well, uh, unfortunately, uh, I am from Pennsylvania, so um, <laughs> it is what it is. The East Coast is kind of uh, tough on the uh, uh, in, uh, shooting industries these days, but, um, and, you know, mainly because it's very hard to find a place to do what we do, which is extreme long-range shooting. But I grew up in Pennsylvania, been here all my life, and uh, was a machinist for 22 years for uh, another machine shop and decided to start my own shop. So in 2001, uh, we started a CNC Swiss screw machining facility and uh, here in central Pennsylvania. Um, 
over the years. You know, it took us a few years, of course, like any bull, uh, business, to, uh, you know, get on our feet and then start doing well. And in 2010, we formed Cutting Edge Bullets. Um, mainly, the start of that company had to do with us in our long-range shooting and trying to find and come up with a better bullet to do that with. Um, and at the time, you know, we were shooting most, most of our long-range shooting was done with uh, 338 caliber. So, you know, in 2008, we started uh, uh, playing with different designs and, you know, trying to come up with a, a really good design that we were happy with that was better than uh, what we was currently using. Um, and we did that, and that's why we decided, you know what, we should probably, uh, you know, start making more of these calibers so, and, and start selling them. So that's how we started out uh, uh, forming cutting-edge bullets. Well, you know, that's interesting, Dan, because I remember, and it seems like a lot longer ago than 2010, but when I was pretty heavily involved in uh, the Sniper's Hide, you, you know, the forum that uh, a lot of the, the tactical guys go to, uh, you know, they really were uh, on the cutting edge of, of long-range shooting. And really, the only kind of bullet that I remember being mentioned was cutting-edge bullets. Yeah, you know, the 338 Lapua had become kind of the, the mainstay of anything long distance. And uh, you guys were really the first ones to break out of that Lapua mold and start coming up with, with bullets that would technically fly better. Yeah, it seems like a lot longer ago, and, you know, I would say we up until 2010, for sure, we were pretty careful about what we put out, you know, just because, you know, it's kind of risky doing that, having a new product and, you know, not having uh, all your ducks in a row. But, um, yeah, it seems like a, a really long time ago, but um, 2010 is really when, uh, especially that Lapua thing, really started to take off. Well, and so you had a Swiss screw machine. Um, explain to our listeners exactly what a Swiss, <laughs> okay. a Swiss screw well, machine uh, does. Yeah, I think most people understand uh, in machining and how it's done on a, uh, I'll say, a conventional type of lathe. Where you the the machine, you chuck up your bar stock. And you have a tool, whatever you're doing with that part, uh, if you're turning it, it runs uh, across your material um, at, of course, your speed and feed that you program it, and you make chips and you make a part. Uh, so your material is sticking out as far and as long as your part is going to be. With CNC uh, sliding headstock, Swiss screw machines, uh, they don't work exactly like that. The, the tool is stationary, I'll say, and it only moves in one axis, generally speaking. There are some exceptions to that, but generally they move in one axis, and it moves from the center line of the spindle outwards. So, uh, and the bar stock is, slides through a precision guide bushing that is very close to that cutting tool. So the whole bar in this in this particular case, is spinning, and it's a, usually a 12-foot bar. And as, as it's spinning, 
there, it is forced through a guide bushing that's right next to the cutting tool and moving the material past that cutting tool. So you get very, very little deflection in your, in your part and material uh, compared to, like, uh, running a tool over top of the part. Which, you know, for making long, long skinny parts, that is ideal for that because you don't have that deflection. You know, on a Swiss screw machine, for example, you can take a piece of quarter-inch diameter material and you can turn it down to, you know, uh, a sixteenth of an inch in diameter, six inches long. And that would be impossible to do on a lathe just because of the way they work. You cannot stick a piece of bar stock out that far and cut it. Well, the same thing goes with bullets. You know, when you're sticking a piece of bar out and you're cutting that bullet, you have to make multiple cuts on it. Or, you know, it, it is going to, that tool is going to deflect that material. With a Swiss screw machine, that does not happen because there is no uh, very, very little uh, part deflection because the cutting tool is positioned so close to the guide bushing that that material is coming out of. Uh, there are there are good examples of that, I believe, on our website that shows uh, not a lot of machining, but, uh, you know, how a bullet is machined on a Swiss screw machine, and you can see, you know, just uh, for yourself how that how that works. Since you've mentioned your website, why don't you go ahead and give our listeners that address so that they can check out your work? Sure. The website is uh, www.cuttingedgebullets.com. Um you know, our machining company, which is where we manufacture all of the bullets, that is uh, cuttingedgemachining.com. But, you know, they're all linked together. So if you get on the cuttingedgebullets.com website, uh, I think you can go to our YouTube channel uh, that is uh, on the uh, homepage, and, you know, you can go right to these videos. Great. Thanks for that. Uh, and so that's CuttingEdgeBullets.com and Cutting Edge Machine. Machining. Plural. Machining. Okay, good. Okay, so everybody uh, that wants to check out what uh, Dan's companies do, uh, you can get them at those addresses. Uh, we encourage all of our listeners to do that. Uh, you know, the one thing I know that, that you started out with just a couple of bullets uh, and now you make many, many different kinds. Can you give us an idea of what the different lines of bullets are and, and how they differ and, and exactly what it is that you're trying to accomplish? Sure. Uh, we started out, of course, uh, like, I, like I mentioned, uh, in the long-range game, and so that is the first line of bullets that we developed uh, called the MTH, Match Tactical Hunting. Uh, shortly after that, uh, we came out with a matching MTAC bullet. That's strictly match tactical, non-expanding. Um, and the, and the, both of those lines uh, run from uh, 22 caliber up to... Uh, uh, 50 caliber. Uh, next, we uh, became good friends with some people in different industries, uh, <clears throat> hunting industries, and one in particular was interested in developing a new line of safari uh, bullets, and he was looking for a manufacturer to help him with that, and it's like, well, sure, you know, uh, we can do that. We make bullets, so let's do it. So we developed the Dangerous Game Brass line of bullets, 
uh, in uh, both in a hollow point and a matching solid. And that is just what it says. It's used for, uh, they are brass banded bullets. They're used for, uh, you know, the larger animals uh, you'd find in Africa and uh, really nothing in North America that you'd really need something like that. I mean, people use them for bear and uh, moose and things like that, but that's really not necessary for thin-skinned game. Uh, we then uh, came out with a a cross, I'll call, between the the solid line of uh, dangerous game bullets and the hollow point, and that was the ESP Raptor for it enhanced system projectile. And, you know, some people think that's a little gimmicky, and maybe it is, but that bullet, you know, comes with tips, and you can put a tip in the hollow point end or not. It depends on, you know, whether you're using a lever gun or a bolt-action rifle or a double rifle, for example. Um, and it also can be flipped around and used as a, as a solid. Uh, and it works very well uh, as a solid, super deep penetration, flat nose design, um, and uh, that particular bullet goes down from 222 caliber. So that is a really good uh, deer hunting round with the tip popped in it and loaded as a hollow point. Of course, not as a solid. That is fascinating stuff, Zev. Here. Um, you know, Dan, I met you for the first time at uh, King of Two Mile last year in Raton, New Mexico. And uh, I remember doing a quick video uh, of you and Durbin under your uh, canopy with the wind howling. <laughs> and uh, definitely looking forward to seeing you this year. Um, what does ELR mean to you guys? Um, how dedicated are you to it? And, uh, w- you know, where are you going in, in that way? Well, the ELR game is just the ideal uh, game for us to play in. You know, we're not professional match shooters, uh, but we love to shoot, and we do a lot of shooting, and we do a lot of long-range shooting. So the uh, the King of Two Mile, when uh, that uh, we heard about that a couple of years ago, it's like, oh, my God, this is perfect for us. Um, when we design our uh, extreme long-range bullets, our MTH and MTAC line. Uh, we make, we try to make them with a good ballistic coefficient, but we're not going to be the highest ballistic coefficient guys around. Um, there's a lot more to extreme long-range accuracy than having a good ballistic coefficient on your bullets. Uh, they have to be super accurate, and that ballistic coefficient has to be. Uh, uh, very close, um, or, or uh, like if you test, you know, 10 bullets, uh, the BC numbers that you get, you know, they better be very consistent. If they're not consistent, then it's no good in the extreme long-range uh, shooting right. uh, discipline because you're going to get vertical stringing out there 2,000 or 3,000 <clears throat> yards. So, yeah, we're, we're very excited to uh, keep participating in the extreme long-range uh, uh, shooting and uh, possibly attend some other matches that are going to be held across the country here. I have a question about that, what you were just speaking about, Dan. Uh, BC plays a big part in whether or not uh, um, a shooter understands 
what the bullet's going to do at given ranges. Uh, I'm not sure I understand everything I need to know about BC. I know there's G1 BC, there's G7 BC. Uh, I'm not even sure why they need two different kinds. But what you said was that the bullets have to be consistent BC from bullet to bullet. And I'm thinking when I hear that is the only way that you know that it's going to be is if you shoot it. And it performs the way it's supposed to form according to what that BC calculated BC tells you it will do. Now, if and when you're saying you need to shoot maybe 10, 20 rounds to see if a, a lot of bullets or if a particular kind of bullet runs with as little deviation as, as possible, is that how you determine whether a bullet is is consistent BC or not? Yeah, that's how we determine it. I mean, we shoot them a lot, of course. Um, but, you know, the absolute best way is, uh, you know, to test, to scientifically test them first, you know, using time of flight, you know, between uh, uh, a certain known distance. And I'm not talking at 200 yards either. I'm talking, you know, 600,000 yards or as far as, you know, somebody can do that. And, you know, you you come up with these numbers and you'll see a deviation. Uh, generally, the, the trend is to go to the G7 uh, because that cl- more closely matches the profile of a uh, low drag or very low drag bullet uh, versus, you know, the G1 was developed for more of a flat base type bullet. That being said, uh, G7, G1 numbers are still good numbers to use uh, no matter which uh, type of ballistic coefficient you use, when you start getting out there to where your bullets are losing velocity, you're going to have to modify the, the uh, ballistic coefficient and do a truing in your ballistic program in order to make first round hits well through the transonic uh, stage of flight. How do you accurately test the time of flight? We, we use uh, an OLR system, and we use acoustic targets set out. Uh, in, in our particular case, we do it. Depending on the, the type of bullet we're testing, our long-range bullets we like to do at 600 yards. So we have a certified uh, distance measured, you know, uh, and not using a rangefinder, but uh, more surveying-type equipment. And uh, you're measuring that time of flight from the time it leaves the barrel until the time it uh, uh, flies through that acoustic target. And using that number, you can calculate, you know, uh, the ballistic coefficient number, whether it be G1 or G7. You know, you can, it's your choice. And by looking at those numbers from uh, through a string of shots, you can see that, you know, oh, well, my BC was uh, .625 on this shot and 645 on, you know, another shot and 630. It's not uncommon to fluctuate a little bit, but when you start getting 10, 20 points in fluctuation uh, in, in ballistic coefficient numbers, uh, well, you can just run that through any ballistic program, and it'll tell you that, wow, you know, you're going to come up with different uh, drop numbers at 2,000 yards just using those numbers. So, of course, you want a bullet that is as close as possible, and, you know, you try to maintain those uh, ballistic coefficients very close. 
You mentioned Oler, and I think everybody thinks of um, chronographs when you, you mention the Oler name. Uh, is that the type of equipment you were talking about? Yeah, that's the type of equipment that we use. I mean, it is uh, really good stuff, and, uh, you know, there's some other uh, things out there right now, but that's uh, what we have used for a long time, and uh, it's been very good to us, and it actually matches very well. Our G7 numbers match what uh, applied ballistics gets uh, very, very close. So, you know, we're, we like to think we're doing things correctly. And, you know, we have a discrepancy between the two of us as far as how the G1 is calculated. But we don't calculate anything. We let the Ehler system calculate it for us. And if we want G1 G numbers, we say, okay, we want G1 numbers. And if we want G7, then we want, you know, it'll give us either one and, or both switching back and forth at the same time. So that's, that's where we get our numbers from. Used to be you couldn't you couldn't load any bullets without having a chronograph. That's where everybody started. But I do know some people involved in long range shooting that have basically gone the other way. They don't even use a chronograph anymore. They just shoot at long distance and verify what their data should be based on you know where the bullet hits at say a thousand yards and and then they they adjust their their data from that. Uh, don't know if that's as as scientific or if it's just easier because you end up with the same results. I'm assuming that you, you verify all your data that's given to you by the, the chronograph uh, in actual shooting. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, if, if you want to do it the other way as far as act, using actual drops, uh, that's a very accurate way to do it. But, you know, there's not many people out there that have the patience and the uh, – uh, expertise to do that properly. Uh, you still have the condition factor that you have to take into play and all that, which you do with, uh, you know, time of flight testing as well and velocity loss. But it, it, it is, uh, becomes a lot more of, okay, you better make sure that your scope is tracking 100% when you click one MOA. It is actually moving one MOA and not, you know, uh, a little bit off. Uh, so there's a lot more things that come into play, and you, it's much easier to make an error that way. But, you know, if an individual does that with his scope and at this condition, at this temperature, this altitude, and he knows that, you know, you can still come up with a very true solution. Dan, there's uh, something that I learned about a year ago, and I'm fascinated by it, and, and you're only the second, you know, expert that we've had on, on that might be able to answer it for me. So the traditional... You know, uh, I think they call them uh, flight directions or uh, freedoms of, of flight were, wow. you know, forward, up and down and side to side. And now they've kind of got the yaw and the pitch going. So we're learning that while the bullet's in flight, things can happen to it that will raise it and that will veer it to the right, left, up or down. Is that something you can model before you start shooting it? Well, uh, you know, you have some really good programs out there now that uh, take care of all that for you. Uh, we're using, again, um, the uh, Horus unit with the applied ballistics program in it. And, you know, you calibrate that thing and say, okay, we're shooting, uh, you know, 140 degrees or whatever, and zero being uh, due north. You know, uh, east due east would be 90 degrees. So you tell it the direction that you're shooting, 
Um, and, uh, of course, you have the wind meter part of it. You know, you're going to do the best you can with the wind. And uh, these new uh, instruments really help you and uh, take care of the spin drift part of it. You know, you're putting in your barrel twist rate, and, you know, and the direction of the wind is extremely important because, like you mentioned, you know, if it's blowing east to west or west to east, one way raises your trajectory a little bit, another way lowers it. You know, it depends on which way, uh, what rifle... Uh, rifling you have in your barrel, what the twist rate is, if it's left or right hand, and, you know, all kinds of things that uh, the new modern um, instrumentation makes it very easy to uh, come up with a good, accurate solution compared to even 10 years ago. I know you've been involved in the ELR-type um, competitions uh, when you can, but the concept, the ELR concept for well, since 2010, I know that you you work very hard to try to disseminate information for everybody who's involved. That's one of the the tenets of the the group of people that have basically said, okay, we want to take uh, extreme long range to uh, the very utmost. And in order to do that, we need to share information rather than to keep secrets and try to be uh, all that. I'm going to let everybody know I have a secret squirrel, super secret, top secret um, round that I'm going to be using at the uh, King of the Two Mile. And uh, you've been kind enough to work with me on developing a bullet that's going to work for this super secret squirrel, top secret round, uh, which is all I'm going to say about that now. But um, I know you're involved in, in promoting the sport and working with a lot of different people. Do you want to talk about how cutting-edge bullets and you in particular um, basically support ELR and the people that are in it? Sure. Um, well, first of all, you know, you're talking about a, uh, you know, a very select group of people here. You know, you're not talking about thousands of people. So, you know, we are very open to sharing, as it seems like, most people, you know, in this uh, ELR um, game that everybody's playing these days, uh, we, if somebody calls us and, you know, we, we are very open to questions. If someone calls and says, hey, you know, we're in a King of Two Mile, for example, and, and we're shooting this whatever it is, 375, you know, uh, what what do you recommend? And, you know, we help them out as far as cost goes. We have sponsorship programs that we do. And, uh, you know, if somebody wants uh, data as far as where to get certain things and, you know, what type of scopes everybody uses, I mean, you know, we're very open to helping everybody. We, we really have no secrets here. You know, I think uh, a, a lot of people that shoot to extreme ranges uh, no, you know, our bullets aren't the highest BC bullets out there, but, you know, they're pretty well known for uh, being very accurate and very consistent, and uh, very consistent uh, BC numbers come from that. So, um, you know, I think that's, that's all we can do as a manufacturer. I mean, uh, I can't help you if you're shooting another type of bullet. I can't help you with trajectories, but... You know, if you're using something of ours that we have data on, then, uh, you yeah, know, we're more than glad to share that information. 
Well, Dan, I really appreciate you being on the show. Unfortunately, we're just about out of time. I want to remind our listeners that if you want to find out more about what Dan does and Cutting Edge Bullets as well as Cutting Edge Machine, you can go to their website, CuttingEdgeBullets.com and CuttingEdgeMachining.com. Dan, uh, thanks again. I look forward to seeing you out on the range the next time we get together, and I'm, I'm really excited to work with you. Uh, both as a sponsor of the Cutting Edge team uh, and uh, having you work with me on these new bullets. I appreciate it. Well, thank you, and I appreciate uh, what you do for us as well and supplying uh, the uh, uh, stocks that you supply. Great. I I really appreciate you being on the show. I want to ask our guests to uh, stick with us for the next few minutes while we go to a commercial break. We'll be right back with our next guest. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. For over 40 years, McMillan USA has been at the leading edge of the gunstock industry. The company was born out of the desire to improve and perfect form, function, and precision with every one of their premium fiberglass stocks. From tactical to hunting to competitive shooting, McMillan stocks are designed to dominate. Their signature three-way adjustable butt plates, adjustable cheek pieces, rail mounts, and adapters provide a versatile platform built on performance. Over 65 custom finishes are available, ranging from solid colors to camouflage. Check out the McMillan website for hundreds of stocks available for immediate delivery. And for those wanting something more specialized, call the knowledgeable and friendly staff at McMillan for a complete list of options at 877-365-6148 or visit McMillanUSA.com. Again, that's 877-365-6148 or visit McMillanUSA.com. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. 
Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. The opening kickoff is a beauty. It's a fly ball deep right field. That goes O'Neal. He's at the shot. Got it. With 2.8 seconds left to left. I don't care where they put him. This one is out of here. From high school to the pros, we... We cover everything. Let your voice be heard. Voice America Sports. You are listening to Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. Now back to the show. Welcome back to Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. Thanks for staying with us. Uh, Our next guest is truly an innovator in his field. Uh, If you're into long-range hunting at all, probably one of the very first names that, that comes to, to mind is Gunworks. And uh, today I have with me Aaron Davidson, owner of Gunworks. Uh, you've probably seen him on TV. Uh, I know you've seen him if you've looked at any uh, long-range stuff uh, related to hunting. And uh, it's such a pleasure to have you on the show, Aaron. Thanks for being here. Uh, thanks for inviting me. Glad to be here. Uh, we've been watching the show and uh, glad to be a part of it. So let's start with a little bit of history on you, um, how you got into the, the different endeavors that you're in right now. Start from what what made you attracted to firearms in the first place. Yeah, you know, I'd, I'd almost have to say my brother kind of drug me along uh, through our formative high school and college years on the hunting side. And, uh, you know, starting a family early, you know, going to college I learned pretty quick that I could trade in one of my hot rod cars and get a whole bunch of guns. So, you know, kind of had a little shift in the, the, the balance sheet on assets there. But what in college, you know, being exposed to that engineering curriculum at the same time, you know, being exposed to more firearms and, and firearms related technologies uh, kind of was a good mix and, and got all those synapses connected. So I'm curious, uh, you, did you start out with a television show or did you start out building guns? You know, I started out building guns. There was a little, there was a little company in our hometown. I mean, I come from a town of like 285 people, I think on the sign. And there was a little company there that was doing some outdoor videos, like uh, video cassettes and then some training DVDs. And then, and they just started doing a television program. Uh, you know, broadcasting that like on the Sportsman Channel, and I thought, you know what, that's that's a really intriguing business, and and I could they were kind of into the shooting thing and some long range, and I said, you know what, this is kind of marrying right up with with kind of my interests, and I, I took a look at what their business was capable of doing and said, you know what, if I bring in a firearm product, if I develop a rifle scope product, we put a little technology into the mix and create kind of a complete package system, I think that their reach could really do well for, for my product. And so essentially that's how that came about was I started Gunworks and, you know, put together those, you know, first prototypes, you know, proof of concept, you know, pitched to those guys and we kind of partnered up. Uh, I think that lasted a couple of years. And then, uh, you, you know, we decided that Gunworks would be well served to, you know, move forward independently. And, and we started our own, television program in 2010. You know, that's really exciting. And I know that uh, there's a lot of our listeners out there that, that watch your program. 
I want to talk about Gunworks, the rifle company. Uh, you know, there are a number of rifle companies out there that, that build all kinds of rifles. And uh, when you got in the business and started, basically, you've always been on that cutting edge of long range hunting. Um, even before it was chic, you guys were really pushing the envelope on, on getting quality guns that could perform at longer ranges than most people were used to shooting. I think, I, I, I think that the key there was um, kind of putting the whole system together, Kelly. Uh, I mean, when, when I started into the rifle business, you know, I looked to, you know, the big guys that were out there. There was, you, you, were, you were running your deal at that time. You know, there was, Mark Bansner was out there. Um, you know, the Ed Browns. and a, Basically, it's all the old school, the old guard guys. And they all had awesome products. But the, the part that was missing was kind of the, the total package. And that's really where our niche came in was, okay, scope, you know, ballistic calibration, ammunition, rifle system all put together, all function tested and proven, and then, and then packaged up with that system was kind of that little tidbit of, of education. So the video education and training to kind of make sure everybody understood what they were doing and, and had better success, you know, kind of overcoming that hurdle, that, those first steps at taking those long shots. Well, I think the first thing that really separated you from everybody else, um, you got involved in, in ballistic turrets uh, back in a time when they were not as well known and popular as they are today. I think you were uh, among the forerunners of that particular um, technology. But I think really what separated you from everybody else and, and probably still does is your G7 rangefinder. Talk about a little bit about how that whole thing came about. Tell our listeners who are not familiar with it um, what it does and how it does it so that, you know, when they're planning their next um, maybe an antelope hunt to uh, Wyoming where there's a possibility that they're going to shoot six, 700 yards, uh, they'll understand why they need to have one of those in their kit. So you're 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 right on the the early adoption of the BDC turret was kind of a, uh, kind of one of those significant differentiators for our company and and I think truly the reason why we were able to do it and do it on a wholesale basis not just on rifles but on scopes that we would sell is is we 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 developed a process to allow people to collect data and then we would configure the turret to match their actual shooting data. So it kind of it made the BDC turret match, you know, what the customer's rifle was doing. And in at the very beginning, when we when we looked at that system, we, I even filed a patent and received a patent on a BDC turret that was calibrated in a manner that paired up the windage correction with it. So, I mean, we were really focused on that technology. But even even as we developed that simple system. You know, uh, we we knew that that wasn't the total ballistic solution, and 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 that system worked really well. But but it's that BDC turret's built for a fixed incline. Let's you pick usually horizontal fire, so zero degree incline, and then that BDC turret is also matched to a specific air density, so say like five thousand feet, fifty degrees. So if you go to any other condition, let's say you got a thirty degree down angle at eight hundred and fifty yards but you're hunting sheep in your 10,000 feet 
and maybe 60, 70 degrees, you know, there's a maybe 20-inch point of impact difference between the ballistics on your BDC turret and the what your bullet's actually going to do. And I think that, that's one of the biggest detractors and, and one of the biggest uh, arguments against using a BDC turret is the fact that it, it has a limited set of conditions that it, uh, you're, it's you're, valid for. You're right, Aaron. You, you made that argument for me, and I, and I made that argument a number of times. If you're on a ranch in Kansas and you're in a, a box blind and that's the only place you're ever going to hunt and you know exactly what distances you know that you're going to be on a flat territory you know that during you know the hunting season what the the ambient temperature is going to be then ballistic turrets work just fine but if you change any one of those conditions it you, you, then you have to start compensating for your compensator. So, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I'm glad you brought that up. And I think that's where, you know, the G7 rangefinder with all of the the horsepower that it has um, really makes a big difference. So and, and that's exactly the iteration. So in 2011, uh, we released, you know, the first articles of that, of that rangefinder. Essentially, if you're going to shoot long range, you have to have a rangefinder. And, and I really liked how simple it was for people to communicate in stressful hunting situations with the BDC turret. But, you know, my goal has always been to bring simple solutions to the customer. And, you know, if I'm teaching a customer, well, the BDC turret works out to 500. And if you're at 750 yards or 1,000 yards, you have to adjust, say, one click for every 1,000 foot of elevation or 20 degrees, and you do this math. And, like that all of a sudden is beyond, you know, that clutch situation where there's a 200-inch mule deer and you've got about 20 seconds to get your stuff together and take a shot. And so that rangefinder essentially would, you would program your turret, say the 5,050, and the ballistics, the BC, uh, muzzle velocity, sight, height, zero range. You'd program that data into the rangefinder. When you'd push the button, the rangefinder would measure the distance. It would measure the current pressure elevation you can interchange those two the temperature and 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 you know it would even correct for incline so basically it would say the target to that deer is 820 yards but you need to shoot two or shoot as if it's 750 so now we're back to a really simple system you push the button it says 750 you turn the knob to 750 pull the trigger yeah that's really cool i was i was hunting uh black bear in oregon and shooting at a really extreme downhill angle, I think it was about 16 or 17 degrees. And my rangefinder said 535, and I was uh, told to hold right on 500 on my reticle, and uh, the bullet went exactly where it was supposed to be. Now, you know, the difference between 535 and 500 at at 500 yards at 35 yards makes a couple of difference uh, inches difference in, in your impact. But, uh, you know, most people don't have the wherewithal to make all those calculations, even though you might have an incline, uh, meter on your, your gun so that you know what it is. Then there's a formula and you got to do math and I hate math. So the G seven <laughs> takes all of that out of, and you know, when you're, looking through a scope at an animal and and you're excited and the last thing that you want to do is have to think about anything else but getting the crosshairs where you want it and pulling the trigger and that's what the g7 does for me and and in uh, the interest of full disclosure i've hunted with a g7 
on every hunt I've been on in the last probably seven years. So um, I'm a big fan. Very cool. Very nice. I think I, I could probably say the same thing for hunting with a McMillan stock for the past seven years. So, Well, that's awesome. Back to you. you know, great minds think alike. Yeah, cool. Hey, Aaron, uh, um, before you zeb here, um, I uh, first became acquainted with your company when I was looking for an explanation about the Coriolis effect. And I went out on YouTube, and I don't know if it was you or perhaps your brother or an employee that did just a brilliant video on how that works uh, at a thousand yards. So, was that you who did that video, or? Uh, you know, we've done a couple different ones. I think Jeremy did a great demonstration video where he actually shot a thousand yards west and turned around and shot a thousand yards east and, and demonstrated that point of impact difference. Yes, that was the one. That was the one. I really enjoyed that. So, you know, as we've been talking earlier with Dan Smichko from um, uh, from Cutting Edge Bullets, we're talking about the extreme long-range world. If somebody was going to get started in long-range shooting, um, how could they best use your tools, uh, you know, from, from rifle to uh, technology? What's the best way to get started? Well, you know, I... I am a re- I'm a I'm a consummate gearhead, and I'm also a, a shopper, and I, I really really want to get the best value for the dollar spend that I put out there. Um, I'm not going to say cheap because I will drop some dough when it's appropriate, but I don't want to ever regret that decision. And I think I think getting set up with rifle gear is just got a lot of potential for spending money that. That is that you might regret, and so I think probably the first step, the probably the first and most important step, is really to try to get an understanding for the sport and the requirements, and and maybe taking a little bit of a deep dive into the equipment and and why certain selections uh, are made to benefit the shooter or the the situation. And I, and I, I think that, that little, that first step, that education and kind of getting your feet wet, I think it can help you, uh, kind of navigate the decisions you have to make on the equipment spend. And that, that's essentially what we've set up with our, our training courses. Our level one training courses is all about kind of the gear and the setup of the rifle and, you know, and how to, you know, to experience that rifle and get the most performance out of it. So you're, I mean, you're talking equipment selection, and and we we dive off into, you know, things like stock design and how stock design affects your, um, you know, your rifle performance, your shooting experience, and let you you know shoot three or four different stocks of different styles, so that the the engineering discussion matches, you know, real uh, visceral shooting experience, and we'll go from there, and we'll go into the ballistics and and understanding ballistics, and really starting to kind of peel the covers back on making caliber and bullet selections. I think one of the, one of the worst mistakes that, um, you know, beginners make is they go straight to the big caliber, heavy bullet, you know, magnums. When I think most guys are better off kind of chasing the, you know, the efficient engineering side of high ballistic coefficient bullets, you know, with reasonable moderate speeds and, and achieving similar performance with less recoil, less muzzle blast, less cost. So, you know, that kind of that, those first training steps, and you can catch a lot of that with good videos, you know, good online research, but, you know, 
spend the thousand dollars it takes, you know, to, to go through, uh, kind of a level one type training experience. And that, you know, basically sets the stage and, and gives you a lot of, uh, scientific, uh, you know, methodology, you know, decision tools to start picking out the equipment that fits your situation. And I think that's a really good idea before somebody makes a four or $5,000 mistake, you know, in dropping ten grand on gear that he could have gotten for six, uh, it totally makes sense to take one of your courses. I, I agree with that. And I think the word we were looking for earlier instead of cheap is competitively priced. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I totally okay. endorse that. And I would love to come out to one of your courses soon. So, Aaron, one of the things yeah, that I think you, you guys are – probably cutting edge in terms of businessmen as well as, you know, engineers and, and um, manufacturers, you really kind of pioneered the full service customer experience uh, from the fact that they could watch you on, on your television show, see you using the products that, that you manufacture and sell, uh, to being able to purchase them from you, uh, come to a class to uh, learn how to use them. And if I'm not mistaken, I think you even offer um, hunts for your, your customers as well. Is that right? Yeah, we're, uh, we're heading to Africa in six weeks with a crew of our customers. We do uh, some antelope slash shooting training schools. We've got a Hawaii event um, with some axis deer and, and uh, some awesome shooting in the wind type training. So, yeah, we, we do that. We don't do guided events. Usually we partner with uh, – with a, uh, uh, you know, a hunting company and uh, just facilitate the, the event. But the customers get to go with you and hang out with you, get to pick your brain and basically spend a, a while with you or your staff. And, and that's an experience that I can tell you from a, a business owner standpoint is unmatchable for most people who buy your product. If they get to feel like they know the person who's responsible for producing the products that they're using and they get to hang out with them, it it just goes a long way to making them loyal customers for life. I think so. And, and you know, I guess I, I've always approached those situations a little more selfishly in the fact that spending time with customers helps us really understand, you know, what they need and what type of products and services, you know, will uh, satisfy that, that need and, and give them that experience or product that they're looking for. So I've always used it as a way to really understand uh, what's going on. I have a short story. You know, my brother and I started McMillan Brothers Rifle Company back in 1992. Uh, I took over the management of the company in 2007, and we changed the name to McMillan Firearms. And that just for a marketing standpoint, I thought was more indicative of what I really wanted people to think of the company when we when we uh, took it over. But back in the mid-90s, uh, 95, 96, 97, we started working with a, a guy here in Phoenix uh, named Floyd Green who owns the Outdoorsman. Now, a lot of people are familiar with the Outdoorsman. They're one of the largest um, optics sellers around and they've, they've got great outdoor products and people and, and from the very beginning they've been offering their products um, through their website and sending out catalogs and they've done a really good marketing job so that's how people know who he is but the way that we got to know him is he came to us and he said hey I necked down a 378 
Weatherby to 30 cal and and I I want somebody to build me some guns on this caliber. So we started building 3378s even before Weatherby started offering the caliber as a standard caliber. And uh, so that really technically because it was considerably before the 338 Lapua gained its um, real popularity in long-range shooting. That was probably the highest performance long-range round uh, on the market at the time. Uh, so we, we kind of were in the forefront of it without realizing that's what we were doing because we really didn't know that, that um, Floyd was using it for long-range hunting. He just asked us to build the guns and he was selling them. Um, have you kind of um, taken a caliber or a particular um, bullet that that kind of says what you want want to do or uh, you you build basically in standard calibers uh, you, you, we've we've got had a few spells where we've experimented with something that's not standard a, a good example of that is we, we we put together a seven millimeter that we did as a wildcat for a while before we kind of standardized it and made it a real offering. But I, th- I think I, th- I think if you look at the calibers that we chase after and, and have you know built up, most of them are standard cartridges. You know, the, probably our number one all-time best-selling, best-performing cartridges is the diminutive seven-millimeter Remington Magnum, and we we basically just took that cartridge and put the right bullet in it. And, and what you, what you bullet know, is that? Quick, That's what quick, you know. We're curious about that. Uh, what bullet do you think is the right bullet for the seven rim mag? We use the 168 grain VLD, and and just some quick numbers offhand, comparing the 3378 with 168 grain tip triple shock, which was pretty popular at that time because the bullet would hold together, it shot really well. In comparing that cartridge, you know, running about 3600 feet per second with the seven rim mag with the same bullet weight in the burger running about 3050 at 600 yards those bullets are traveling the same velocity and the 3378 hits a terminal threshold at 2000 feet per second at uh, 800 yards but that 7 rem mag with the 168 will go all the way to 1000 yards so with with basically half of the recoil you can get another 200 yards on the terminal performance threshold and and all of a sudden, you know, that's what I talk about when I talk about the engineering science of long range. I think that's maybe one of those other secrets is getting people performance downrange without the recoil by just really focusing on the science of how to squeeze the most velocity and least amount of wind deflection with the least amount of recoil. And that, and that's you know maybe that's why a lot of our guns were popular there in that transitionary period is just because of the lighter recoil. The six five two eighty four is another good example. Serial number one for Gunworks was a six five two eighty four. At the time, it was a, it was a standard cartridge. It just wasn't very popular um, in the hunting world. And and if you look at it right now, it's very 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 popular. And it, I think it's because it performs downrange with very little recoil. Absolutely. I I do want to tell you that I know there are people out there who believe in the heavy bullet theory that, you know, the heavier the bullet you can push, the the more um, terminal energy you have and, and the better off you are. Uh, I just want to tell you just for 
your information, Floyd was shooting a 140 grain bullet at almost 4,000 feet per second. So his, <laughs> he said it was the killingest round he's ever seen at long range. He said it, it, I don't know how you can kill him deader, but it was more effective <laughs> at eight, 900 yards than any other bullet he ever shot. So, and that's his personal experience. Um, other people talk exactly the same thing about a 230 grain 30 cal. So um, I know that uh, all comes into play, but I really like the idea that, that you've locked onto is that for shooters to be good, they have to either have a tolerance for recoil or have a round that is within their recoil tolerance. And that makes all the difference in the world when you're comfortable behind a gun. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it's very important, especially when we're, t we're dealing with hunting customers, they're not going to carry a 12 pound gun. That hunting customer wants uh, a gun weight that's around seven pounds, you know, put a two pound scope on it. So you're, you're somewhere in that nine to 10 pound range, total package. Like if you're over that, then you're, you're, you're selling a product that is outside of the uh, of the hunting mainstream. One of the things that I know about your company is that you have a line of products. You you have a line of rifles that you sell, but you're not so big that uh, somebody that comes in with a special request uh, gets told no immediately. Um, you know, I, I like the way that you're nimble. I love the way that you're leading edge when it comes to offering products that are um, designed to make a hunter or a shooter's job easier, and that is getting the bullet to go where he wants to at the ranges that he's going to be at. Uh, I really hate to say it, Aaron, because our time is running short. Uh, we've got about a minute left. Uh, I think we've neglected to tell the people how they could find out more about your company, and uh, why don't you give them the website? So uh, that's a great place to get in. Go to gunworks.com, G-U-N-W-E-R-K-S, and, and, and check out those rifle systems. I think you can build over 80 million different configurations with our online configuration tool. That's terrific. Uh, once again, I really want to thank you for being on the show. Aaron, you've been terrific, uh, great guest, uh, and I'll have you back when we have some more time. Uh, I'd like to thank uh, all of our listeners for spending time uh, with us today. Remember, we'll be here next Friday on Voice America Sports Channel for another exciting episode of Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. Get out and enjoy this great country this weekend. Goodbye for now. Thank you for tuning in to Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. Be sure to come back for more next Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time at 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. The weekend is here. Enjoy yourself. We'll talk again next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.